The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic, love, religion, and climate action. Meet Catherine Hayhoe, world-renowned evangelical climate scientist. Love, religion, and climate action aren't often found in the same sentence, but you'll find all three when you meet climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe, named by Time magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in 2014. First, she has the facts about climate change and our responsibility for it. And she has religious faith and love. An evangelical Protestant and wife of an evangelical minister, Catherine speaks to the moral imperative behind climate action. Plus, she speaks caringly to all, including other evangelicals who deny human responsibility for climate change. If you want a glimpse of this remarkable woman, watch a bonus clip from the documentary Years of Living Dangerously, where you'll see her in action with climate deniers. Find it on Interrevolutionary TV, Beth's channel on voiceamerica.tv. Just click on our new video on Catherine Hayhoe. And don't miss our radio interview, where you will discover how she manages to keep love in her heart as she sees the damage we do. And now, here's Beth. Hi there. Well, I can't wait to talk to Catherine Hayhoe. First of all, she is the most charming, delightful, warm, loving person. But, of course, I don't live with her, so I don't know what she's really like. (laughs) But this is the way she comes across. And, I mean, I don't know how she holds her temper because I can't, not like she does. And she is so knowledgeable. And I feel so desperate about climate change. So I'm so grateful to have her on the show. But before we get to Catherine Hayhoe, James is going to regale us with the news of the inner revolution. The inner revolution is what I call the movement of consciousness on the planet. People really begin beginning to understand our oneness, that we really are one our accountability, that we're responsible for the impact of our behavior on ourselves, one another, and the planet, and finally, mutual support, that we support the whole and the whole supports us. So James is going to give us the news of the inner revolution for this week. Yes. First, we have an item from Reuters from August the 18th. Islamic leaders issue sweeping climate change declaration. In a historic first, some 60 Muslim leaders and experts from 20 countries emerged from the International Islamic Climate Change Symposium in Istanbul with an eight-page declaration urging Islam's 1.6 billion followers, political leaders, and corporations to recognize and take action against the threat of climate change. What they're asking for includes the following, the phasing out of green greenhouse gas emissions as early as possible and no later than the middle of the century, staying within the 2 degrees Celsius limit of global warming or preferably within the 1.5 degree limit. We seem to have already passed through the 1 degree level. 
and that the people of all nations and leaders commit themselves to 100% renewable energy and or a zero emissions strategy as early as possible. And then finally, for the business sector to assist in the in the divestment from the fossil fuel driven economy and the scaling up of renewal en renewable energy and other ecological alternatives. Beth, any comments on that? Well, you know, I am not that up on the Islamic world. But, you know, I try to keep my eyes on the ball. And it seems like this is a historic moment. And it's so in uh, keeping with our guest today that we really wanted to add this to as a news item that a lot of people, I mean, we had the Pope, right? He, the, in June, I think it was that encyclical about our responsibility. And what I loved about what the Pope said is that, you know, he really made it a social justice issue. It wasn't just like, oh, my God, the poor polar bears, which is Catherine's, one of Catherine's examples. Although, my God, I feel sometimes more for the polar bears than I do for my next door neighbor. But, <laughs> okay, okay, this is an admission of guilt on my part. But, um what i you know what we're what we're seeing is that people are really waking up to our social responsibility and that that the earth is one and w that it's impacting everybody and we all need to take accountability and so to see people of faith finally speaking up especially when they represent so many billions of people is heartening i think it's a very important in a revolutionary change when, where people are starting to take accountability and are not just pointing the finger at someone else saying, you know, you fix this. Okay. Yes. Okay. Next we have an item from the Wall Street Journal from June 22nd. Five-star dining on leftover scraps. Buoyed by a global movement to reduce the tons of food that are thrown away each year, about 50% of our food is wasted, fine dining establishments like Chef Dan Barber's Blue Hill in New York City served food waste as gourmet dining for 19 days in March. Barber's gold, bold gamut proved that an entire menu of delicious meals worthy of the highest critical acclaim could be built from ingredients and materials that most restaurants would toss into the trash without a second thought. And this from The Independent on today, France has made it illegal for supermarkets to destroy edible food in an effort to cut waste. The country's National Assembly unanimously voted in new laws that force chains, chains to donate discarded food to charity or allow it to be turned into animal feed, compost, or energy. The French <laughs> government is working toward its target of halving food waste by 2025 and is also putting the issue on the school curriculum. Yeah, go ahead, Beth. I love this story because, again, this is showing that we all have accountability and we can all do something. One of the I mean, one of the crimes of the century is how many hungry people we still have. And that we are wasting food at the same time is kind of like, oh, God, doesn't that just kick you in the stomach? But then to realize, uh, in addition to that, that the production of food is adding to global warming, methane and all that stuff. Well, I'm not the expert, but we're, we, always, we, you know, we, we have had people on talking about food and global warming, and we will again, by the way. And so, the, you know, they're striking at two things. First of all, the hunger, and uh, secondly, uh, you know, climate change. And again, these are people who are coming out of the woodwork, 
who aren't just saying, well, I'm waiting for the government to fix this or why don't they do something? But everybody is looking at what they can do to start helping. And I, I think it's a great story. And I think it's wonderful to think that you could make scraps out of, I mean, you can make really gourmet food out of scraps because I think about the gourmet food that I've had in my hand that I turned into stuff that should have been scrapped. So <laughs> that's my, my comment on that. Okay, James, do we have any more? I think we yes, do. Yes, one more bit of news of the inner revolution. From thinkprogress.org, August the 27th. Catholic school officially changes policy after fired lesbian rejects hush money and goes public. In what may be a historic first, a Catholic school that ended a contract with a teacher for being openly gay has reversed course, challenging the church teaching by instituting hiring policies that welcome LGBT people. The school in Portland, Oregon, had agreed in May to bring her in on the bring her on in the fall, but backtracked after Lauren Brown stated that she is a lesbian and might marry another woman someday. The school rescinded her contract in early August, offering instead a year's salary if she promised not to talk publicly about her termination and not to sue. But Brown said she would not bow to pressure and refused to keep silent. There was a public outcry, resulting in school officials abruptly switching their stance, announcing on Facebook that they had voted unanimously to alter the school's hiring policies to allow for LGBT employees. So there it is again, individual people showing courage. You know what? I call the inner revolution our understanding of our oneness, our oneness with each other, our oneness with the natural world, um, our oneness with the universe. And for me, it's also the oneness with God, taking accountability for our behavior and having a, a, an energy of mutual support that we're not just individuals who are out just taking care of ourselves, that we have to work together. But there is also habits that the inner revolutionaries have, and inner revolutionaries have courage. I think this is an incredibly courageous story. You know, there, that um, clerk in Kentucky who is refusing to give out marriage uh, licenses to gays and lesbians, I completely disagree with her stance. But I have to say... <laughs> You know, she's got guts. She's standing up for her principles. I wish people would stand up for their principles. I wish people would consider what principles they have and ask themselves, really, if this is in the oneness. But, but I think that, you know, people taking individual action and having courage and using Facebook and using cell phones and, you know, to take videos and all that stuff that's happening in our world today, this is such a change from the world that I once knew that I, when I first became an activist a million years ago. For those of you who know that I'm 70 years old, you know that I got started when I was nine. That was 1954, and it was a different world. But anyway, all of this uh, oneness brings us to our guest, Catherine Hayhoe. Now, one of the things that I loved about her, and we have our video about her is on our TV channel, Interrevolutionary TV on Voice America TV. And she's being interviewed by this guy named Don Cheadle. I didn't know who he was, but James gave me the look because, you see, I'm... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't go out much because I've been ill since I'm 15 years old, and I really don't get out in the world very much. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he was interv- interviewing her, and, and we saw her 
going and talking uh, to evangelicals and with so much patience of really trying to understand where people are coming from and trying to help them and support them. So she was in the oneness with people that she didn't agree with. So that was what was so impressive about her. There was so much love in her. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, uh, there's some Catherine, how did you become the person that you are? First of all, how did you have this? What we typically think of as them, you know, evangelical Christians or those are the backward people, right? <laughs> Which yeah. is a, a them us attitude, right? Which I love that you are breaking that mold. And how did you come to have a faith that was aligned with science, which is another oneness thing, instead of polarizing between science and religion, which I think is insane. But how did you come to this? Well, I was very fortunate in the way I was brought up. Um, First of all, I grew up as a Canadian evangelical, not an American one. And so in Canada, it is much less politicized. Um, Yes, and there's much less of a perceived conflict between science and faith and education and things like that. And then second of all, my father was not only an elder in our local church, but he was also originally a science teacher. Mm. So he loved science, and he very much viewed the world as God's second book. In other words, we can learn about God from the Bible, and we can learn about God from the world around us. So I grew up with the idea from day one that science and faith were not in conflict. If they appeared to be in conflict— as they do sometimes, it was because either we didn't understand one or the other or perhaps both, and if we just had a little patience and a little time and a little humility, we might be able to figure it out later down the road. Mm. Humility. Yeah. Humility. Where did that come from? Who has humility? What a foreign concept. (laughs) We don't have humility. We have opinions. (laughs) True, true. Humility is often in conflict with opinions. Well, how the heck did you get down here to the lower 48? It was all the way to Lubbock, Texas? It was not anything that I ever started off with in my career path, I can tell you that. But I went to graduate school in the U.S., in Illinois. And while I was there, I was part of this great group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's a group that's all about integrating your faith with your scholarship. So we would have great talks by different professors and faculty members from our own university as well as from others talking about what they learned through their work and how that impacted their faith. Um, and that was where I met my husband. Now, when we, were, when we got married and we were looking for jobs, um, we were looking on both sides of the border, but it's a lot easier to get jobs down here. So my husband got a job at Notre Dame, and there we were living in the States. My goodness. Well, do you ever... I don't know if I should ask you. You can always say that you're taking the Fifth Amendment. But, uh, you know, I will ask you anything that pops into my head. And you feel free to say, I don't want to answer that question. But, <laughs> what, but, what color are my underwear? <laughs> oh, that's assuming you wear some. So, so what, tell me about your, you know, your relationship with your husband because he's an evangelical minister. Does he ever get flack? I mean, I could ask you what what the pillow talk sounds like in your house. You know, do you ever have any conflict with him between science and religion? But does he ever come under any kind of pressure from the evangelical community that he's serving? Because he is a minister, isn't he? Yes. Well, when we met, he was doing his PhD in applied linguistics at the University of Illinois, and he still is a professor at the university as well as being the pastor of a church. Um, And so when we met, here's the thing. 
I I had never met anybody who didn't think climate change is real. I mean, growing up in Canada, you know, <laughs> the the sky is blue, the grass is green, and climate is changing because of human activities. <laughs> That's oh, kind of really? Yeah. Now, and he, growing up in the South, his dad was a lawyer and a Republican politician, and he went to a Baptist school. So he had never met a Christian who thought climate change was real. So we, in our mutual (laughs) naivete, when we met, you know, at university, both of us in graduate school, both of us in the same Christian group attending the same church, we just thought, oh, well, clearly they think the same way as I do. Because we never met anybody who didn't. And you're going to laugh at this. It wasn't until we got married that we found out that we are on opposite sides of the fence on this issue. No. Yes. No, you're kidding. Something that's that important. Well, how long was your courtship? Three days? No, it wasn't it wasn't that short. But you know, when you're in graduate school, what you normally talk about is, you know, oh my computer crashed and I lost the second <laughs> chapter of my thesis, or oh my computer code has a bug in it and I can't figure out where it is, you know. And and so we didn't he didn't really think to ask. Um, and I didn't, it didn't occur to me to ask him because I mean, what rational, logical, educated person would not think climate change is real? And here he was doing his PhD, you know, right. in a very technical field. So it wasn't until we got married that the, the penny dropped, so to speak. And we had a number of very interesting discussions over the course of almost two years on the topic. Oh, so was he your first convert? Um, I guess you could say so, except... I don't like using that word because I don't think that you should believe in climate change. I don't think it's something you believe in. I think that there's this wonderful verse in in the book of Hebrews that talks about how faith or belief is the evidence of things not seen. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) And science is the opposite. Science is the evidence of what we see with our eyes. So, yes. So I wouldn't really call him a convert. I would say that he became convinced of the reality. He woke up. He woke up to reality. Well, of course, being a prejudiced woman, I think that a lot of us women are waking up men on a variety of things. Yeah. Yes. But men wake us up too about things that we have a lot of blind spots on. And so, you know, I have to be honest about that. Well, we are going to be going to commercial break, but you hang on to your chair because we've just met Catherine Hayhoe. This has already been a wonderful conversation and I can't get wait to get into the rest where I ask her those questions that I'm afraid to ask about climate change. So if you're not afraid to hear the answers, stick around. We'll be right back. <laughs> Sounds good. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Transform yourself and your world. Check out Beth Green's online community, theinnerrevolution.org, where you'll find effective support to become the person you really are. Find a variety of activities, including men's, women's, and family groups, low-fee counseling, workshops, events, and free support. Subscribe to our newsletter and receive a free PDF of Beth's book, Living with Reality. Meet a group dedicated to galvanizing the inner revolution sweeping our world, all at www.theinnerrevolution.org. I'm Beth Green, and I want to help you revolutionize yourself and our world. Take advantage of my powerful intuition in a private consultation that will amaze you. 
Discover my five books, three CDs of original music, School of Intuitive Counseling, upcoming workshops, trainings, and community. Sign up for my newsletter and get a free PDF of my book, Living with Reality. Tune into Inner Revolutionary TV, my channel on voiceamerica.tv. Find this and more at my website, theinnerrevolution.org. Be part of the inner revolution sweeping the planet. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green on the Voice America Variety Channel. And now, also enjoy Beth's channel, Inner Revolutionary TV, on voiceamerica.tv. See inspiring videos about our guests and the inner revolution. Hear commentaries that will help clarify our time. And watch interviews of people who will matter to you. Think outside the box. Watch Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're tuned in to Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and co host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to Inner Revolutionary Radio. Hi, welcome back to Inner Revolutionary Radio. Oh, today we are interviewing the most delightful woman, Catherine Hayhoe, who is, who is a climate science and an evangelical all in one. And we've been talking about uh, her life, her marriage, and it's been great fun. But I have to ask you these questions about climate change because I'd feel guilty if I got off the phone, uh, off this call, and felt just great and didn't learn anything and didn't uh, offer any information to our <laughs> listeners. So, okay, the question which goes through my mind, which goes through everybody's mind, I think, if we're not in complete denial, is, is it too late that is a really good question and a really tough question. Yeah. The way that we have to think about this is the same way we would think about cigarettes or really unhealthy food. Yeah. Um, you know, it's better to never have smoked in the first place. Yes. But if we have, do we say, well, you know, I've already been smoking for 10 years. Is it too late? I might as well just smoke myself into my grave. No, yeah. we would never say that. We'd say, no, it's never too late. Stop now. The quicker you stop, the better off you'll be. Yeah. Um, you know, even if you smoke for 30 years and for 40 years, stopping today can make a difference. And so that's the perspective I have on all of our carbon emissions. Yes, it would have been much better if we had figured out how to get our energy from wind and solar and tides way back when during the Industrial Revolution. Instead of figuring out all these increasingly ingenious ways of digging the stuff out of the ground and burning it. Yeah. But it's not too late. Yes, there are some impacts that have already happened. And there's some terrible things that are already happening, especially up in the Arctic, where ground that used to be frozen is, is melting and crumbling and falling away. And, and there's over 200 native villages in eminent risk there. And we also know that heat waves are getting stronger and people are dying because of these heat waves. We know that heavy rainfall events are getting stronger and people's homes are getting uh, washed away. But we know that the more carbon we put in the atmosphere, the worse and worse these things are going to get. Yes, I, you know, I, I so appreciate your attitude. See, I get up and I feel like, oh my God, it's too late. And I think, but if I think that way, we won't do anything. And, uh, you know, it's dangerous to think that thought because it just leads to passivity. That's why hope is such an important emotion. I yes. feel like so much of our discourse these days is driven by fear. Yes. And fear, first of all, holds us back from even admitting this is a real issue. 
Yeah. And then, but fear can also prompt kind of knee-jerk reactions, but not the long-term sustained momentum that we need to really fix this problem. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, speaking of fixing this problem, um, what about Obama's recent declarations about what we're going to do in new emission standards? And then he goes and he says it's okay to drill in the Arctic. I mean, uh, I can't. I don't get it. I know. I think all of us probably just sighed <laughs> when we heard that. It's, um, but you know, here's why I am so glad I'm not a politician. Poli- being a politician <laughs> is a tough, tough job. You are trying to keep hundreds of millions of people happy, half of whom hate your guts, the other half of whom are always complaining and picking at you no matter what you do. So I think, you know, sometimes we got to extend somebody a little grace and a little sympathy in that they are really, you know, hoeing a hard row there. Um, And that's why, you know, we can afford to be armchair critics and say, if I ruled the world, here's what I would do. Um, But unless somehow we can turn into a, you know, a supreme ruler of the world. (laughs) (laughs) God forbid. (laughs) Exactly. Um, You know, we have to make the best of what we have. And looking, looking on the bright side, you know, the president has certainly gone out of his way to do as much as he can to get us rolling in the right direction. And some of the biggest and most important things he has done is to form alliances with other countries, countries who are coming up in the world, who are poised to really break through in terms of the world economy, like China and India, countries whose decisions now will have a huge impact on our future. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I I don't know when I say wonderful. It's horrible, but it's the divine irony. Here we are. We have always felt that we were exempt from everything. Uh, People have been telling us that the Arctic is melting for years. But until we started having storms, droughts, flooding, uh, you know, all of that, it's like, oh, yeah, global warming, 50 years from now, it's those people over there. Oh, yeah, those Alaskan villages, gee, too bad about those people, right? (laughs) You know, Papua New Guinea, these people are the 171st down on glow, on, uh, on emissions, and they are, you know, in major drought, they have water and food shortages. But that's over there. Mm-hmm. And it takes that slap in the face. It's a kind of a shame, really, especially as a religious uh, person as yourself or a spiritual person as I am. You know, I'm feeling our oneness, like, oh, my God, we are accountable for each other. But it's so easy to put other people's suffering out of our minds. And what's happening is all coming home to us. And we're feeling it, and it's becoming so real, so palpable. Uh, I think that Obama has been benefited by the horrible uh, climate catastrophes that are beginning to happen here. And that people are beginning to wake up that it's very expensive not to deal with climate change. Mm-hmm. And that it's, it's crazy that these companies are just, so what is it, 90 companies produce 65% of the, the I don't know. Uh, I, I'm sure there's some number there which I don't remember because everybody who's, uh, who listens to my show knows that I have no memory. Um, that these, you know, these handful of powerful companies that are holding everybody hostage and trying to maintain this idea that we don't need to do anything and not yet. And I just read something. Honest to God, you know, some money thing from, you know, this is, this is uh, MSN news. So this is what gets the general public. They're talking about fracking from a perspective of returns on their money. They're not even mentioning 
that there are uh, earthquakes in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not even in their vocabulary. They're not even thinking about it. The completely self-centered, ego-based, profit-based economy that's pushing everything. You would well, think, and yeah. what I would say, if I could just interject, it's not, yes. it's not just um, an economic perspective. It's a very myopic, incredibly short-term economic perspective because. Yes. If we really cared about the long-term health of the economy, and I'm not talking about our kids even, I'm talking like within the next decade, then we would be looking at the big picture. Yes. Yes, exactly. So are you finding that there are that there is support beginning to come from industry that are realizing they're shooting themselves in the foot that we can't afford these natural disasters? The insurance companies, uh, everyone. Are you oh, seeing yes. any of that? Tell us about that. Absolutely. I mean, the insurance companies, and especially the reinsurance companies, they're the guys who stand behind, who have to foot the bills. Um, They have been concerned and then worried and now almost scared about this issue for, as far as I'm aware, well over a decade, possibly even two decades. I mean, the insurance industry, they run the statistics. They're extremely smart people. They have all the numbers and they know something is happening. They are crystal clear on this. But there was recently some outrage, I think just a few weeks ago, when it was discovered that Shell Oil, who also has a number of very smart people, it turns out that Shell Oil has a plan for how much more fossil fuel they're going to be able to extract from the ground as the world warms by one, two, three, and even four degrees Celsius. Oh my God. Yes. And that is four degrees Celsius. Everybody, every climate scientist pretty much I've ever talked to agrees that by four four degrees, we're looking at a different world. I mean, it is going to be a radically different world that we have not experienced in the history of human civilization. And that's really the important point here is it's not like the world hasn't gone through climate changes before. You know, everybody who has a kid has watched the Ice Age movies probably more times than they ever wanted to. (laughs) So we know that the world has looked different. We also know that there was a movie called Jurassic Park, which showed us that the world looked a lot warmer back then, too. The point is, right now, it's happening in a world that should be getting cooler. Right now, our world should be gradually cooling in preparation for another Ice Age in the next few thousand years, and that's not happening anymore. We're getting warm very fast. We're warming 10 times faster than we did between the last ice age and now, so that's really fast, and we have seven billion people living on this planet. So, yeah. if you know, if the world warmed this fast a thousand years ago, and there were you know people living on Manhattan Island or you know Houston or uh, you know New Orleans, close to sea level a thousand years ago, and sea level goes up three feet, who cares? You pick up your tent, you move, right? Yes. Nowadays we have two-thirds of the world's biggest cities within a couple of feet of sea level. We have every arable acre of land packaged out and bought, purchased. So if you can't grow food in a certain place anymore, then you can't just pick up your farm and move. If you can't, you know, if, if our coastlines get flooded, you can't just pick up your house and move it. That's why we care about climate change is because we have built the vulnerabilities into the fabric of our society. Ugh. Yes. By the way, there is a fabulous TED talk that Catherine did that you can find it on YouTube if you just uh, Google Catherine Hayhoe. And that's a K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E, Hayhoe, H-A-Y-H-O-E, that gives you all these hideous uh, (laughs) statistics on marvelous, you know, bolstering information that helps us really understand things. But she ends on this high note. 
that the state of Texas alone could be creating enough power for the whole world two times, three times over or something like that. Is that true, Catherine? Oh, yeah. I mean, I had to. Look, I always look at the numbers before I cite them as a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, even just for the U.S. alone, we could just have a, you know, 100 by 100 mile square of old style solar panels, and that would be enough to power the entire country. Now, people would say, well, we still need batteries, but man, that stuff is getting taken care of fast. Elon Musk has invented these batteries that each person could put in their own home, and they cost $3,000, which yeah. is really not much. Yes, 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 yes. Well, uh, how, do, how would they deliver this power? Well, um, obviously we have an electricity grid going around the country. That's yes. how the power can go out. But you have to be able to store this power when the sun isn't shining. So that's why our real solution is not just one technology. Our real solution is a mix of wind, solar, um, tides, and conservation. Conservation is very important and it saves us money. And storage having that storage available so that we can still turn our lights on and off at the flick of a switch. Yes, you know, we, we live in the forest, and I, we tried to get uh, solar, but they said we don't have enough sun. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, I can't believe it. I have to be, you know, a criminal. I can't use solar power. So, uh, but, you know, we have a, a blue sky program and some of you out there may be in the same situation. There's this blue skies program uh, here in Southern Oregon and we pay more for our electricity in order to support the power companies. And I hope they're really doing this to actually doing renewable energy. So there's a lot of ways that all of us can contribute. Mm-hmm. You know, this is so important because I have gotten to feel so guilty day and night I turn on the lights, I turn off the lights, I have an electric toothbrush, (laughs) dental floss. What can I say? I mean, I have a lifestyle where I consume, 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 I consume power, I consume stuff, you know, and I think about what it would be like to turn all of that around. And I wouldn't even know how to live if uh, I had to completely change and go back to the land and, I don't know, dig a well by hand and... (laughs) <laughs> well, we have, we have to be realistic. I mean, if you go to Africa where people do live off the land and dig wells by hand, they're not celebrating their lifestyle. They're looking to live like us. And so I think a really important distinction is to say that it's not necessarily human activities that are causing climate change. It's human choices. Mm-hmm. So in other words, using electricity is not inherently bad. It's where our electricity comes from that makes the difference. Yeah. But we do squander. Yes, we are very wasteful, and that's why conservation, I mean, who doesn't agree with conservation? In, in practice, we might not agree with it. We might I not don't. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's really hard to go up to anybody in the street and for them to say, I think conserving is a bad thing. Right. I mean, we all grew up with parents and grandparents who taught us, you know, turn off the lights, the stitch in time saves nine, all that. But here, here's a cheerful thought. I want to give you a cheerful thought. Oh, good, good, okay. good. So there, there's these series of maps online that are really cool. They're called the Yale Climate Opinion Maps. So if you just Google Yale Climate Opinion Maps, they'll pop right up. And what they do is they summarize people's opinion all around by state and even by congressional district on a bunch of different questions. So if you look at the question, is global warming caused mostly by human activities? Um, the map looks pretty depressing. I mean, there's literally, you know, a handful of states that say yes, and the majority of states say no. Is but, that true? Yes, but here's the cheerful thing. Ready? Okay, tell me, tell me. I'm waiting. <laughs> um, 
How many people would want to require utilities to produce at least 20% of their electricity from renewable sources? Ooh, I bet it's a lot. There's only two states in the entire country that are below 50%. And those two states are West Virginia and Wyoming. So that means that every single other state, more than 50% of people, want our utilities to produce more than t- at least 20% of their electricity from renewable sources. Why the heck are we not doing this? That is a fascinating question. And it really goes to show you what you're talking about, how, how crazy we humans are. I mean, it's like we're not... <laughs> We're not putting it together. On the one hand, we don't want to admit that we're accountable for what we're doing. And yet, at the same time, we want someone else to fix it by changing the way we're doing the thing that they're not admitting that we're doing. Mm. Did you follow that? I totally did. And there's actually even social science studies that have showed that if we talk about a challenge or a problem to people, but we don't offer a viable challenge. Uh, viable and tangible solution that people could actually support and grab onto, that people's acceptance of the reality of the issue is, you know, nothing. Yeah. Almost nothing. So that's why it's so important to not just tell people climate is changing because of all the carbon we're putting in the atmosphere, but also to say, here is something that you can do. And here are some cool things that are already being done. Isn't this awesome? Oh, yes, this is amazing. So these are the types of things that we need to support. And then people accept the problem because we feel empowered. We don't feel hopeless and guilty and and full of despair. We feel like we can make a difference. We can be the good guys. You are so right. We had a climate panel in November, uh, a two-hour climate panel that we did for Voice America Radio that was played across all of the network. And we had on one of our guests, and the whole premise of it was the hope you know, of climate change and how, you know, we can do something and we can make it all better. And we had a, a one of our guests was Peter Sinclair, who's the videographer. Yeah. You, you were in one of his, <laughs> yes, one of his videos. And he was, you know, he was demonstrating to us the power revolution, that it's real, that it's here, that it's present, that it's actually, there. there's other people in other nations, I think like in Germany, they're way ahead of us. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, we have this ridiculous idea that we are the most advanced civilization on the planet. I beg to differ. You know, in some ways, we're really pretty retarded. But you were just talking about the difference of being in the United States and being in Canada. Well, also, what people don't realize is the number one country in the world in terms of wind energy and solar energy is China. (gasps) No. Yes. Wow, that is fascinating. Well, we have more fascinating things coming from Catherine Haythrow-Ho in a minute, but we are going to a commercial break. And stick around because one of the things that we're going to ask her about is her experience, where she's living, and the kind of support that she may be getting from surprising sources. So stick around. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Transform yourself and your world. Check out Beth Green's online community, theinnerrevolution.org, where you'll find effective support to become the person you really are. Find a variety of activities, including men's, women's, and family groups, low-fee counseling, workshops, events, and free support. Subscribe to our newsletter and receive a free PDF of Beth's book, Living with Reality. Meet a group dedicated to galvanizing the inner revolution sweeping our world, all at www.theinnerrevolution.org. 
I'm Beth Green, and I want to help you revolutionize yourself and our world. Take advantage of my powerful intuition in a private consultation that will amaze you. Discover my five books, three CDs of original music, School of Intuitive Counseling, upcoming workshops, trainings, and community. Sign up for my newsletter and get a free PDF of my book, Living with Reality. Tune into Inner Revolutionary TV, my channel on voiceamerica.tv. Find this and more at my website, theinnerrevolution.org. Be part of the Inner Revolution sweeping the planet. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green on the Voice America Variety Channel. And now, also enjoy Beth's channel, Inner Revolutionary TV, on voiceamerica.tv. See inspiring videos about our guests and the Inner Revolution. Hear commentaries that will help clarify our time. And watch interviews of people who will matter to you. Think outside the box. Watch Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You're tuned in to Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and co host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to Interrevolutionary Radio. Hi there. Welcome back. We are interviewing Catherine Hayhoe, is, who is a world-renowned evangelical climate scientist. She's bringing together love, religion, and science, which is kind of unusual for many of us. And we were going to ask her a little bit more about the kind of surprising support that she might be getting, like from her local church. But uh, James brought up something during the station break, and so we'd like to pick up on that and share this with you, because there are people, a lot of people who are talking about the point of no return and scaring people. And some people said, we've already reached the point of no return. In fact, James has been walking around talking about mass extinction. Are we at the sixth you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I read that book too. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of people have those kind of fears. You know, we're either in denial or in fear. That seems to be the human way. So, uh, or denial and fear go hand in hand. So, we'd love to have Catherine share a little bit with our audience what she was just sharing with us. Sure. So, if you open Scientific American or a newspaper or a website, you'll often hear people saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to be okay until we get to two degrees, but once we hit that threshold, it's, you know, it's all bets are off, we're done. Or, you know, we have to leave this much carbon in the ground, and as long as we burn just up to that amount, then we'll be okay, but if we go over, you know, we're finished. Um, Those numbers, any year, any threshold, any degree that you hear, it it doesn't come directly from peer-reviewed science because here's the difference. Science can tell us what is going to happen when we get to one, one and a half, two, three, four, five degrees. Science can tell us what's going to happen. Science can tell us what's going to happen if we burn X amount of carbon or Y amount of carbon. And science can tell us what's going to happen by 2050, 2030, 2020. That's what science can do. How much is too much? That's a values question. It's not a science question. Because we have to say, okay, this this much change produces impacts that are unacceptable and that are dangerous. And here's the thing. If you went right now up to the Arctic 
and asked people there living in villages where those villages are basically falling into the ocean because the ground under their feet is crumbling and melting away. And you said to those villagers, we've warmed by 0.8 degrees Celsius or one and a half degrees Fahrenheit. Is this too much? They would say yes. Yes. They would say our homes are falling away under our feet. That is dangerous. That is too much. If you went to Bangladesh where, you know, thousands of people were dying in heat waves this summer, not that we haven't had heat waves before, but they're getting a lot more severe and a lot more frequent. And you said to some of those people who'd lost a loved one, do you think that climate has changed too much? They would say yes. But then if you go to people living in, you know, temperate mid-latitude locations where we have enough water and we have our air conditioning when it gets too hot. And you say to them, well, do you think we're seeing dangerous climate change? They look at you like you're crazy. So that's what we have to keep in mind. So when we look at this whole thing, how much is too much? If we're committed to preventing suffering to anybody, no matter where they live, well, we've already passed that threshold because people are suffering. Um, If we want to make sure that we selfishly will be okay where we live today, we haven't passed that threshold, but you know, the more carbon we produce, the closer we get. So globally, though, people kind of circle around a target of two degrees Celsius, which is about three and a half degrees Fahrenheit. Why do they circle around two degrees? Well, there's a guy actually in Cambridge who is studying how we came to circle around this two degree threshold because it wasn't like, you know, there's all these scientific papers saying two degrees is the only threshold that we can consider. But what happened is there's a lot of different studies out there looking at agriculture, water, energy, um, civil conflict even, sea level rise, flooding, all kinds of things like that. And most of those papers show that basically the farther we go, the greater the risks. And so there's kind of a general consensus that somewhere around two degrees tends to avoid some of the more dangerous risks, but at the same time um, allows us an actual chance of hitting that target. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, realistically, we should turn everything off today if we want to end human suffering because of climate change. But realistically, that would actually, in some ways, increase human suffering. Because if we went cold turkey off fossil fuels today, what would that do to our medical system? Um, what would that do to, um, to, our, to our health, to our education? I mean, it would throw the world into chaos. So, as I said before, being a politician is really tough. Yeah. And it's really a political decision where we're going to go, because the reality is we're already seeing dangerous impacts today. Well, but the the question that came up around this mass extinction and all of that stuff is they're saying, well, if the polar ice melts, then we get more, we start absorbing more sunlight. And that we can't stop it. You know, that you get to a point where you set yourself on a course that you can't turn around. Well, I mean, if we turned off everything today, we would still see the impact of our carbon emissions on the Earth's carbon cycle for about 5,000 years. Ugh. I mean, so we, we've made irreversible changes. It's like if you've been smoking for a year, yeah. you've already made irreversible changes to your lungs. But at the same time, stopping as soon as possible is always a good thing too. And so um, we, we do know that if we push the climate system too far, it, we could see some big changes happen in terms of changes that relate to the ocean circulation, to the Amazon forest, to the melting yeah. of the Greenland ice sheet. We can't put an exact number on how much carbon we can burn and then it'll be okay versus how much, you know, if we go one ton past that threshold, then all of a sudden, you know, we go to hell in a handbasket. We can't really put a number on that because we've never conducted an experiment with our planet like this before. But we do know that the more of this carbon we produce, the greater our risk. So that's why it makes sense to sensibly 
reduce and eventually eliminate our carbon by replacing all of our energy with zero carbon sources. As far as I'm concerned, it's already gone too far. We live in southern Oregon. I guess you would consider that the temperate climate, I mean, compared to being at the equator or the North Pole. But we have seen such, I have personally seen such a dramatic change in our climate for the worse. The trees are, you know, are very stressed. Uh, people's wells are beginning to show up with the, all kinds of brown stuff in it. It's like the, the, the wells aren't normal. Nothing is normal. The weather's not normal. We are having enormous forest fires. And you know what always gets me is that people f- keep thinking that we're the only ones on the planet. I look at, all right, I have an air purifier and an air conditioner. We didn't have an air conditioner for six weeks this year for, not, not because we didn't want to. <laughs> there was a problem with our air conditioning. And it was over like in the hundreds every day, day after day after day. I thought I was going to die. And, uh, and I'm thinking, look at the deer. They're walking around there. They're not wearing masks. They have no air purifiers. You know, what is the wildlife going through? What are the birds going through? What are the squirrels going through? It's, mm-hmm. it's all of us. Where are they getting water? Uh, I just can't believe how they have to live. It sounds like I'm on a rant, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, honestly, I just have to say, there are certain animals that are going to be just fine no matter what happens. They include oh. possum, deer, and squirrels. <laughs> so. Oh my God, you make my day. And cockroaches. <laughs> and cockroaches. They will be just fine. Oh, really? I mean, I want to go out with a mask for every deer because we have so many deer here and it's so beautiful. The forest is so beautiful. But I mean, it's all this smoke. It's horrible. Yeah. I can't stand it anymore. It's like you can't even go out. So as far as I'm concerned, it's too it's, you know, it's already gotten really bad. Let's do something about it now. So we were going to ask, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the moral imperative, the religious imperative, and the kind of support that you're getting from your evangelical community. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the idea of stewardship, in other words, care for God's creation, um, goes back, it has very deep roots. I mean, you can even look in the writings of John Calvin, <laughs> which, you know, hundreds of years ago, talking about caring for God's creation. So for many decades now, there have been some wonderful people writing in the Christian community and even in the evangelical community about caring for creation from an ecological perspective. But it wasn't until recently, really, just the last 10 years or less, that the evangelical community and obviously the Catholic community too, now we see in the Pope's encyclical, has started to put together the dots on the fact that it's not just caring for plants, trees, and animals, it's caring for people. Because as climate changes, the people who are suffering the worst impacts are the people who do not already have the resources. So people who are poor, people who are disadvantaged, people who don't have access to resources, um, and people in poor health, those are the people who are being disproportionately impacted. Yes, and there is a moral imperative uh, to do something about it. I think the real question comes up around the word stewardship rather than dominion. I grew up hearing that humans had dominion over the earth, and that's just the way we're acting. <laughs> like, we can do anything we want. We can kill any species that gets in our way. You know, we can plunder, we can rape, we can pillage the earth. Well, but, that, but that's really such a silly, immature attitude. I mean, and I know some people have it, but let's look at it this way. If somebody had dominion over a large company, 
right? And they pillaged, raped, plundered, and drove that company into the ground. What would we think of that person? Stupid. Exactly. (laughs) So having dominion um, means doing, like, making sure that what you are in charge of thrives and grows and does well. And we respect people in charge of companies if those companies thrive and they grow and they're successful. Um, so in the same way, it just makes absolutely no sense to interpret that, that as, you know, you can run it into the ground. We don't respect anybody who runs anything into the ground. So why would we respect people who run the earth into the ground? This is so true. And this comes back to our concept of mutual support, that we support the whole and the whole supports us. Rather than acting like we're separate, distinct individuals who just have to think about ourselves because actually we're all killing the goose that lays the golden egg. Mm-hmm. We are coming to the close of our show. What would you like to leave us with if you, that you haven't had a chance to say yet? Oh, I keep almost asking you about, and you're getting support in your evangelical community? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so most people where I live, um, you know, didn't think climate change is real. But um, once you get to know somebody, I think it's a little bit different. And so often at church, I'll have somebody come up to me and say, you know, I've been reading everything you post on your Facebook page because I have a Facebook page where I post a lot of interesting things. If you want to look for it, it's just under my name, Catherine Hayhoe, Catherine with two A's in it. Um, And so they come up to me and they say, you know, I've been reading everything on your Facebook page and it all makes sense. I just wanted to tell you that. And that's the most wonderful feeling in the world because it's like, wow, you know, (laughs) people are actually looking at this stuff and thinking about it. And once people actually have real information they can dig their teeth into, people are smart. They can understand it, and they can change their minds. I, I think that's so true, and I love the fact that you are out there in the world bringing that information in this kind of calm, non-confrontational, optimistic, yet starkly realistic way so that all of us can get an education and can start thinking of what we're doing. So um, before we close, James, tell us what we're doing next week. Yes, next week... Uh, is Kids Fight for Their Future. Meet 15-year-old climate activist Shutescott Martinez. Taking the future into their own hands, 21 kids just filed a landmark federal lawsuit against the president and the U.S. government challenging its continued irresponsible policies on fossil fuels. One of these activists is our guest, Shutescott Martinez, an indigenous hip-hop artist, change agent, and youth director of Earth Guardians. Having been an impassioned environmental activist since the age of six, he has been recognized by the U.S. president, has spoken at the U.N., and rallies youths everywhere as he continues to mobilize his army of teens in 25 countries. And he's doing it with the inter-revolutionary spirit of accountability and oneness with people and the earth. Tune into our radio show to meet this remarkable voice for sanity, responsibility, and social justice. Find out about his movement. Plus, watch a Kid Climate Warrior, our video about Shutescott, on Interrevolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. See what this young generation is doing to ensure everyone's future, including our own. And now for a final word from Beth. Isn't it great, the people who are coming out of the woodwork, that you just... That, you know, that they just have that spirit in them, that people are awakening to our accountability all over the earth. And while in some ways, and I'm just saying this from my heart right now, that in some ways this is the most terrible time uh, in so many ways. It's also the best time that I've ever been alive. 
because there's so many more people who are awakening and caring and sharing. Catherine, thank you so much for blessing us with your presence on our show today. Oh, thank you, Beth. So we hope that we've made a connection that will never end, even if it's just in our hearts. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> and very shortly, our show is going to be on podcast, and we're going to spread it everywhere. So until next week, this is Beth Green from Interrevolutionary Radio. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inter-Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inter-Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.